Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Ariana Brocious, in for Christopher Conover. On today's show, we're revisiting the local student podcasters at City High School, whose work has garnered national attention. This week, NPR announced the finalists for their student podcast challenge. Alex Soto, a student at City High School, was one of 15 finalists selected from a field of more than 2,000 entries. In this piece, Soto searches for answers to the question, what is the most beautiful sound? Sound is weird to me because it's just these invisible wiggly waves in the air that hit our eardrums and send a message to our brain. But depending on the shape of the waves, the effect is so different. Like, some sounds can make you super sleepy and relaxed. Others can make you mad to the point you snap and start yelling, or so happy that you cry with joy. But what makes a sound beautiful? I don't know. It's different for everyone, but also kind of the same. What is the most beautiful sound? Waves. Waves. The sound of waves. A lot of people like waves. It's weird how something so loud can be so calming to people, but people love water. Like running water in a creek. I'm not usually one for camping, but like that's one of the main things that would drive me to go outside and like do that. I like the sound of running water. Like just a nice stream, not a waterfall or anything. It just sounds really peaceful to me. Uh, rain. It soothes me and it helps me sleep. I think the rain falling. It's so calming and soothing. And especially here where we live in Tucson, it's always dry and hot outside. And when it rains, it's like a blessing. What is the most beautiful sound? Probably the wind, like, rushing through the trees. I guess, like, the wind is pretty nice. Uh, wind blowing. Metal wind chimes, like, just flowing in the wind. What is the most beautiful sound? Silence. Um, silence probably, or like birds, like birds chirping and just like, I don't know, I just really like the feeling of like being in the wild and like hearing all the like different like calls and weird (laughs) sounds that animals make. Birds sound cool. I like the birds that, I like the sounds that birds make. My bird's singing. How does that sound make you feel? Uh, Good, because she has no rhythm, but tries hard. How does it sound like? Like, weed, weed, beep, beep, tweet, beep, weep. Some people like the peaceful sounds of nature, but that's not everybody's favorite sound. You know when you have an old car, and it's like very well kept up, and you start it, and it's like that old car, like, <gasps> that's a really sexy noise. Like, that's a good sound. Like, on a really old Mustang or, like, a really old truck or something, when it's, like, a clean, like, rumble. What is the most beautiful sound? I don't know. I guess I would have to say music. I always have music on, so. Good music, not, like, crappy music. I love 
lot of music, especially harmonies. Harmonies, um, it's numbers of frequencies um, meshing together in ways that are so simple in doubles and halves and sometimes thirds, and it just sounds really nice, and it sounds like there's a friendship between the notes. What is the most beautiful sound? The sound of my cat's meow when I get home when she greets me and she's like, hi! Because <laughs> <laughs> um, she's always just so excited to see me. One sound that people seem to mention a lot was the sound of another human. Um, hearing my friends talk um, to me, it feels like that I'm worthy of talking to. Laughter. Anyone's laughter makes me happy. Um, the most beautiful sound is, I'm going to go with my wife's laughter. Laughter. How does that sound make you feel? <laughs> um, it makes me feel really good. A lot of people talk about my laugh and how much they love it, and hearing people talk about my laugh makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> my niece and nephew laughing. There comes with their laughter just pure joy, knowing that I'm in that moment with them and enjoying life with them. When all my kids get together, play games and have fun together in the house. My kids laughing, yes. How does that sound make you feel? Oh, it absolutely just makes my heart grow three sizes. It's just, it's just the best. I feel so lucky to, to, to have that sound in my life. I also really like when babies sneeze. That just makes me want a baby. I saw this TikTok the other day of this baby sneezing, and then after his second sneeze, he was like, ah! and I was like, oh my God, I was so cute, and I was like crying at it. I asked my mom what her favorite sound was. A uh, laughing baby. What does a laughing baby sound like? I'm not gonna laugh like a baby. <laughs> really? I agree with my mom. A baby's laugh has got to be one of my favorites. The pure sound of a baby's laughter can make anyone's heart melt into a puddle of love and happiness. I also love the sounds of my boyfriend telling me I'm gorgeous, or my baby niece saying she loves me. But I think my favorite sound is ice clicking against the sides of a glass. It makes me feel at peace, like when I'm laying in bed reading messages on my phone and I pick up my cup and the ice is hitting against the glass. I don't know why, I just feel like... like everything will be okay. That piece was produced by Alex Soto, a student at City High School, as part of the school's podcast program. It's been selected as a finalist for NPR's Student Podcast Challenge. Winners will be announced next week. In 2019, another podcast by a City High student was selected as one of the New York Times' Best Student Podcasts of the Year. Here's the piece produced by Samantha Sesueta, titled My Incarcerated Family. I love the sound of my cousins laughing. <laughs> They're so sweet and innocent, but I worry about them ending up in jail, which is kind of a horrible thing to say. But in my family, a lot of people get arrested and go to jail, and sometimes it's prison. How many people in our family do you think we have have been in prison or in jail or have been arrested? 10, 11 of them. I don't know. My mom doesn't like to talk about it. Like, why do people go to prison and jail, like in our family? Because of poor choices, Sam. But why were we making bad choices, like my Theo Ray? The first time I went to jail was 15. My Theo was in a gang, and a lot of his friends were killed. He started doing drugs and then got in more trouble. 
Growing up, my Theo just seemed like a huge goofball. He didn't seem like a bad guy. I wasn't a saint and I wasn't an angel. I was, I was a rambunctious young man who, was, who followed the crowd. I did a research project on incarceration. I ended up meeting people who work in criminal justice. My name is Joel Feynman and I am the chief public defender of Pima County. I wonder why he thought people made choices that landed them in the system. Drugs play a huge role if you have a substance abuse problem. Mental illness, uh, poverty, you know, lack of opportunity, lack of education. It was heartbreaking thinking about all the factors he had named. And when I thought about my family, it was like, check, check, check. I started high school at a fifth grade reading level. My mom and dad never finished high school. I'm going to college this fall, but I'll be the first in my family. Another factor that I kept thinking about was trauma. What about trauma? You know, we think of PTSD as only applicable to soldiers in combat, but it's not. I mean, people have PTSD because they were physically abused, because they grew up in a crappy neighborhood where there was gang violence and drugs. My mom and my Theo Ray grew up in the same neighborhood that I live in now. Balio Hollywood, was it always a good neighborhood? No, it's still not. Do you, you know how easy it is? Like if I wanted to get on drugs, I could just go on the other side of the money schools and find somebody that'll sell it to me. I didn't realize how much my family had struggled. I don't know why, I guess it seemed normal. But I guess it should surprise me that with all the factors they dealt with, a lot of them became system involved. Do you think the system has helped the people in our family? No, the system does not help. There's more gangs in prison than there is out here. You go to jail and they just throw you back out with nothing. I wondered if my theory thought prison had helped him. What I learned in prison was to be a better criminal. At the Criminal Justice Reform Unit, I met Manny Mejios and Zach Stout, who were both formerly incarcerated. This is Manny. Let me say first and foremost that prison is in no way corrective. Uh, they call it the Department of Corrections, but it, it does nothing to correct. So any correction has to come from yourself. This is Zach. No, um, you know, we're sending a lot of people there who have substance abuse. You then become surrounded by drugs and that was your problem. And what about trauma? Assaults, murders, prison, especially prison, is a very, very dangerous place. I wondered if there are good things in prison, like education or drug treatment, that could help people make better choices after they were released. But Manning told me that there wasn't much there. Any type of self-help class has to be offered through a volunteer because the prison can't afford to pay for it for themselves. I don't know about you, but there's not really a lot of people that are willing to go to a prison to teach a class. I learned that in the United States, more than 75% of people who are released end up back in prison within five years. When I first learned that, I was shocked, but it kind of makes sense now. We don't make it easy for people to make good choices. But in the end, I guess my mom is still right. I don't know what breaks the cycle. You gotta do it yourself. You gotta want change. You gotta not wanna be in the rut. You gotta just want different. Each individual can choose. It might be a harder choice, but it's still a choice. Frederick Douglass said that once you learn to read, you'll be forever free. And so, I try to read to my cousins whenever I can. He chased him around the garden, calling him, Stop, thief! Poor Peter ran into a gooseberry net. <gasps> he got caught! He got caught? Again. Again? Yeah.
I want them to recognize that there is a place beyond their current situation. Peter ran as fast as he could, slipped underneath the gate, and he was safe at last. A place where they can always be free. That piece was produced by Samantha Sasueta. I talked with her and fellow student Paloma Martinez last summer. At the time, both had recently graduated from City High School, a nonprofit charter school in downtown Tucson. They created podcasts as part of City High Radio. The girls said their podcasts were a combination of two classes, the podcast class and a senior seminar youth participatory action research project. So for me, I wanted to learn more about recidivism and incarceration um, in Tucson, but mostly in the United States. And then Paloma did something with water usage in Tucson. Yeah, because at first I was kind of like, okay, so I was thinking about like environmental issues and water is like, of course, the most important like thing that we need to like live. And I had seen this Netflix episode. It was called The World's Water Crisis. Yeah, and it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> so I I started thinking, and I think as people in the desert, it's something that a lot of us like constantly are thinking about. Yeah, so I wanted to ask about, so you explained now where your idea came from, and Sam, I wanted to know more about what drew you, I mean, you have a family connection based on the piece, yeah. so what interested you in pursuing recidivism as a subject? I've been wanting to learn more about recidivism after I watch the documentary um, called The 13th Amendment. I remember watching that film with my mom and she was just saying, oh, did you know this family member was in prison? They went to jail. And throughout this whole project, I found out things I didn't know about my family's history and past. And so doing this project, it wasn't just the audience learning about my family, but it was learning my own family history. And I always knew that the justice system always saw it as corrupt or I wasn't always sure about it and I always saw it in a black and white slate but after doing all of this it just really opened my mind and made me realize like there's so much more in hand than just a person seen as a criminal you know. Both of you interviewed family members for your projects and what was that like? What did it feel like to sit down with a radio recorder and talk to your family? It was very hard. hours and hours of tape of them saying get away (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) it was it was very difficult I had to get the tape that I wanted I had to pretend that I was just talking to them and I had to kind of like kind of say oh it's a project I have to do it like I have to get a good grade and they're like ugh, fine and I noticed like when I did stuff like that it was kind of scripted but the reasons why I got um, such vulnerable tape was because I didn't put the mic directly towards their face. I kind of, I had to <laughs> kind of play it off like I'm just talking to them like I, I usually do. And even doing that, it's just hard to talk about this subject in my family. Kind of doing this radio project, it kind of forced my family to look at what has happened in their lives and kind of push them into self-reflection so what, what do you hope that people who listen to this will take away from each of your podcasts? No matter where you are and how much water that you think that you have, like it's always important to know where your water comes from and know that like it's not it's like not gonna be there forever or like it's hardly ever gonna be like 
secure, you know, which is a really scary thought. But at the same time, we have to also take into account like all the other factors, like the environment or just like pollutants and like kind of how it affects the ecosystem. Because a lot of times when we have drinking water or water that we think is sustainable, it's taking it from another place and affecting other people. So I think that's really important for people to to note. You know, we all have our views, our political views on incarceration within the United States, but, you know, making this podcast, it's just in hopes that a lot of people out there can see from a different perspective. I mean, that's why I started it with my little cousins to show, like, it's like a metaphorical thing, like, towards the end with, like, the reading the book. Like, it doesn't always have to be in order to break a cycle, like, graduating high school and going to college, like, you know, realistically, like, not everyone's gonna do that. But even the little things, just, like, reading to your kid or spending time with them or finding a a good mentor or, you know, investing in in education and reading and and especially, because I learned that you're more likely to be on welfare or be system involved if you can't pass the fourth grade reading level and I didn't know that well thank you both very much for talking with me thank you thank you that was Samantha Sesueta and Paloma Martinez former student podcasters with City High Radio who have now both finished their first year of college now we'll hear an excerpt of Paloma Martinez's podcast titled a crisis in the desert I live in Tucson, where summers are beginning to reach 118 degrees and the saguaro cacti are 45 feet tall. You'd never imagine that there used to be a river that flowed right through the middle of town. There were watermelons growing on the banks and people used to have boat parties and picnics under gigantic trees, but the river is dry now. I live less than a block from the Santa Cruz River Wash All it is now is miles and miles of sand and trash. I hear there might be a global water crisis coming soon. And I hear about cities like Cape Town running out of water and I look at my city and I feel afraid. My mom is worried too. You know, being a homeowner and stuff, it makes me consider if I want to even live here or if I should sell it now before, you know, the word gets out that there's going to be no water left and then everyone abandons like I envision this ghost town my teachers are also worried do you ever worry about Tucson running out of water yes all the time yeah I guess yes absolutely oh my god I worry about Tucson running out of water every single day I wanted to know if we were right to be so worried about water security so I hunted down some experts My name is Sharon Megdell. I'm director of the Water Resources Research Center at the University of Arizona. And I do not see Tucson running out of water in the near future. And then I asked a cultural ecologist. Uh, My name is Joaquin, Joaquin Murrieta Saldivar. Do we have a water crisis? Not really. Just to be sure, I asked a superintendent at Tucson Water. I'm James McAdam. Can you see Tucson running out of water for any reason in the near future? No. It doesn't keep you up at night ever? No. No, it really doesn't. Okay, so if there's no crisis, why is our river dry? I think the simplest reason why it stopped flowing is that too much water was pumped out of the ground. 
And so rivers are connected to the ground below it. They explained to me that Tucson is built on a giant aquifer, which is like a big underground reservoir of water. We dug wells and pumped up the water, and as the population grew, they had to dig deeper and deeper. But if you start pumping that groundwater and you pump it a lot, then that tends to take the water from under the river, and the river doesn't flow anymore. You can hear that whole piece and find a link to subscribe to the City High Radio podcast on our website. Sarah Bromer has been a teacher at City High for 15 years and has been running the youth radio program nearly as long. I was really interested in radio, and I was a, an avid NPR fan, and so I, I just wanted to learn how to make a radio story. So I asked my principal if I could teach a class where we learned how to make radio stories, and she said yes, and, and so we started the class. And that first year, I think the kids really taught me how to do it because I didn't, they were just so much more technically savvy than I was. And from there, you know, I took a few classes and figured out what I was doing a little bit more, and we, we operate on a shoestring budget, and we make radio stories. <laughs> so when students come into the class, are they given an assignment in terms of you are going to produce one episode of a podcast this year uh, and the subject matter is up to them, or how does that part get worked out? Yeah, so we have we do two projects, um, one project every semester, and each project becomes a podcast episode. The first semester we do Vox Pops because that's just a simple way to learn the technology and the editing program. Man on the street types yes. of things. Yes, and then um, the second semester we do personal projects, and the subject matter is completely up to the student. They get to choose whatever they want. And then that also becomes a podcast episode. And I think what makes the class really unique is how much time the students spend on a single project, because my goal is for them to make professional quality work and to have that experience, because I feel like they gain so much from that. So the two students that I talked to, both of their podcasts were pretty meaty in the sense of tackling real subjects water scarcity, incarceration, and recidivism. But in general, are the subject students pick that type of thing? Well, they're definitely 100% self-generated because they're going to be working on it for a whole semester. It has to be something they feel really passionate about. So, uh, But they often come up with many. We spend some time in the beginning looking at many ideas and thinking about the potential for each of those ideas and who we could interview and how available those people are and... Uh, but, I mean, students have done stories just about how much they struggle to get along with their dad or something like that, too. I mean, and, and that, that's substance. I think they're, they're all substantive. But um, as far as being something that is a hot topic in the, in the news right now or something that the nation's talking about, not necessarily. And this year, you submitted at least a couple of these to two different contests, one through NPR and one through The New York Times. Is that something you do every year, or did this year, this year, did you have a couple stories that really, to you, rose beyond the, the normal pack? When I heard about the contest, I felt like all of my students had the potential to be contenders because they do work so hard on their stories, and there's always a few great stories every year. So I, bas- I, I actually took the contest to the class, and I said, is there anybody in here who wants to go for this? And I told them that I thought all of them had the potential to win the contest, and that I really believed each of their stories could make it to that level if they worked at it, and I just asked them who was interested. 
and Sam and Paloma raised their hands and said they were willing to do it. And I, I said, well, it's going to be a lot of work outside of class because while we do try to make sure all of our stories are at a publishable level, you know, not every single one is at a national contest winning level. So I knew it was going to be a lot of extra work. And I told them, this is just going to be hours and hours of work outside of class if you really want to push it to that level and you really want to try. And there's no, re- there's no real reason to enter or, you know, you can enter it, but there's no real reason to say, I'm going to do it if you don't do it all the way. And one of them won. And Sam's, one of them won. Yeah, which is great. What do you think the class, your class offers from whether it's the interviewing, um, the audio production, the, the storytelling, the writing? Are these skills that you see give students a different set of things that they may not be getting from other classes? What's the benefit there? One thing I really love about writing for radio is that it's different from from other kinds of writing in that you you really have to worry about time. And so you have to learn to be very succinct and very deliberate with every single word that you use. And the other thing about it that's a little bit unique is that you have to sound real. You have to sound authentic. And I think one of my very favorite things about teaching this class is that the kids who have spent their entire lives thinking of themselves as great writers are not necessarily the kids who are the best writers in radio class. And so I often have students who come to my class and and they are struggling readers and struggling writers. I think sometimes it's easier for them to write in their own voice, you know, or to just write write something brief and short and in their real voice. And And then I think hearing themselves on the radio and hearing how and you know getting getting all that positive feedback for how powerful their story is is just it's something that can be very transformative for a kid who has spent their whole life thinking I'm not a good writer it's a very accessible field yeah i would agree well thank you so much for talking with us sure that was city high school podcast teacher sarah bromer interviewed last year about her students work This week, NPR announced the finalist for their high school student podcast competition, and a piece by one of her current students is among those finalists. During the coronavirus school closure this spring, City High Radio students have been recording audio diaries about life during the pandemic. You can find a link to City High Radio's podcast on our website. And that's the buzz for this week. Find all episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. This week's show was produced and edited by me, Ariana Brocious. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. Christopher Conover will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.